Welcome to Mosaic Church, and thank you for joining us here online. To prepare for today's message, we encourage you to utilize the Mosaic Cincinnati app. There, you can view the message notes, put in prayer requests, and so much more. Enjoy the message. Um, we're in the middle of a, a series called Summer Mixtape. We've got a few more weeks of this, and we're looking at the growth journeys of many different people in the Old Testament. And I love this because I, I love the stories. I love what we can learn from them, and I love figuring out how in the world does this apply to my life? Because sometimes when you read stories in the Old Testament, you're like, huh, what in the world does that mean for me? And so we're digging in, and we're looking at the context and the history and everything that went on to figure out how does this apply to our lives today? Because here's what we know during this series. There are huge gaps in all of us between who we are and who God wants us to be. And God wants to take you somewhere. He wants to help you bridge that gap. And the question is, are you ready to go on the journey? And that's the question we've been asking during this entire series. And so if you missed any weeks, I encourage you to catch up online. It's um, uh, lots of really cool stories. But today we're talking about one of the kings of Israel. He's one of my favorites, and his name is Josiah. Josiah. Josiah was living in a time where people had strayed from consistent faithful worship to God, as we see over and over throughout the Old Testament. Now, we as people are always tempted uh, was something, and maybe you can relate to this. As you grow up, you begin to think that the next generation is just totally different, right? And man, it, <laughs> I, I experienced this personally this last week at kids camp, and I, I had these thoughts that, man, kids are just different these days, right? Have you ever, have you ever thought that, man, and, and, and you even think, you know, well, the generation before me, they're different, and this generation next is different, and we begin to think that we go through things and that we're experiencing things that no one has ever experienced before in all of human history. Have you ever been tempted with that, to think that, hey, you're, you're on your own, and, and, and no one has ever had to deal with this, and no one has ever had these challenges or these, these, these things going on in their lives, and so, and so we've all been tempted to think that that this has never happened in all of human history. And that's usually how the people in the news kind of get the hook in you, like, for the first time ever in history, this has happened. And some things, like, hey, dude lands on the moon, that's never happened before, right? And so, but that's a very, 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 very small list of things and people and circumstances that have literally never happened. The Bible says there's nothing new under the sun, after all, God created it all. He spoke it all into existence. Nothing surprises him. And so, once again, Israel had stopped worshiping God. They're worshiping pagan gods. They're doing detestable things. And the temple, so get this picture. The temple was there. The place of worship was there. So it would be like the church is still here. It's a fixture in the community. And as you drive through communities here in in. Um, in Ohio, you see churches everywhere. Sometimes you'll see a church literally on every corner. But we see by this example that even though the church might be there or even though the temple might be present, is filled with the wrong things. Now, don't worry, I'm not going on a rant against the church. I love the church. I love everything about the church. I've given my life to the church. The church is God's tool and God's method for, for propagating the gospel throughout the world. I love church. But it is possible because we are human 
that sometimes we breathe things into our life and we bring things even into the most sacred spaces in our life that don't belong there. And so the temple was there, but it was filled with the wrong things. Outside influences had taken over. Why? Because the Israelites, the people of the kingdom of Judah, wanted to look like everybody else. That's really what it comes down to. They wanted the gods that they had. They wanted the practices that they had. They wanted to eat the food they had. They wanted it all. Now, who does that sound like? Me and you. Americans, we want it all. We want it my way and we want it now. Come on, right? And so we land at King Josiah in 2 Kings 22. And so if you want to open your Bibles to there, 2 Kings 22. And just some historical things to note. Among all the kings of Judah and Israel, there were only four reformers. So out of 39 to 42, however you want to count it, wherever you want to start the count, out of a whole ton of kings... There was only four of them that were actually reformers and, and stayed true completely to God's word. And we'll see what that looks like here in a minute. And Josiah was one of them. But we had Asa, Jehoshaphat, Hezekiah, and Josiah. These were the four guys that really just overhauled everything and really tried to, to obey God. And so here's the thing. You might feel sometimes like you're the only one that the whole world is against you, that there's just so much pressure to keep up with the Joneses and do things like the world, and, and it's like you just can't handle it. I want you to identify with Josiah and Hezekiah and Jehoshaphat and Asa because they were the only four in a long, long lineage of, of kings that stood up and took a stand. <laughs> so some of us, though, you know, we feel like we're the only ones and we're surrounded with pressures to live in a way that is not pleasing to God. We all get that. And some of us resign ourselves to it and we lose the tension. And the tension to do right and the tension to choose God's way just leaves. And that's what happened in generation after generation in Israel. And that's a scary place to be. And like we talked about, man, when you're not trying to bridge that gap between who you are and who God wants you to be, hey, you've got a problem in your life. It's a scary place to be because you stop growing. And so, in fact, I believe that the things the Israelites struggled with, although they were different on the surface, really are the same at the heart level as what you and I struggle with. And so, in our context, our biggest temptation is going to be to just ride under the radar to just coast, to get to some sort of level of comfort in our life where everything's just right and we feel and our conscience is appeased and we're just gonna ride it out because the world is bad and everything in the world is just like, you know, going kind of crazy. You know, I'm, I'm just gonna figure out a kind of a sweet spot and just ride this thing out. But let me encourage you this morning. That's not you. God has called you to something bigger. God has called you to not just coast, to not just ride under the radar, God has called you to something else, right? And so Josiah, he really was a once in a generation kind of leader. But when you break down his story like we're gonna do today, you're gonna see that we can all make a massive difference by following his example and people like him. 
And so the first thing that we see in the life of Josiah, number one, if you want to fill out in your notes or jump on the app, you can fill in the blanks there as well. We see that we are all confronted with an opportunity to do what is right. Every single one of us. We're all confronted with an opportunity to do what is right. 2 Kings 22.1. Let's read. It says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah from Bozkath. How many of you like pronouncing all these, all these old names? Come on. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight and followed the example of his ancestor David. And then here's, here's the line that applies to all of us. He did not turn away from doing what was right. He did not turn away from doing what is right. Every single one of you, you're walking along life's path and you're gonna be confronted with an opportunity to do what's right. And the question is gonna be, are you gonna stare it right in the face? Are you gonna live through that? Are you going to step into it? Or are you gonna turn away from your opportunity? We all have that choice. So in Josiah's time, momentous events were erupting around the world. And so, and it was around 638 BC, and at this time, the influence of Assyria, the kingdom of Assyria was waning, and the invasion of the Scythians was coming, and this lasted to about 624 BC. And why is that important? It's because the, the, these things paved the way for the rise of the world power called Babylon. And many of you have probably heard of, the, of Babylonians, King Nebuchadnezzar, all these, all these crazy characters. And so just a couple generations before Josiah, innocent envoys had come and visited the king of Judah, Hezekiah, and, and back then they were just innocent, but envoys from Babylon had come to visit him. And so in these years when Josiah was young and he was forming, because did you see, he took, he took the throne when he was eight years old. Eight years old. And so in these formative years of his life, you know, all these changes were happening in the world. Babylon was getting stronger. Other kingdoms were falling. And prophets in the Old Testament like Zephaniah and Nahum and Jeremiah were preaching. And so when you read some of these these minor prophets in the Old Testament, you know, just to give you some context, this was the time when these guys that had huge voices were preaching. And so none of these events are mentioned in this story, in this historical account of Josiah, but I say all of that to say that he was living in a shifting, changing, and godless world. There were many gods, but few worshiped the one true God. And so we have to deduce that his mother, Jedidah, must have nurtured in him a soft heart towards the Lord. She had to have. You know, they had to have been listening to the prophets, Jeremiah and, and Zephaniah and Nahum and, and all that was going on, and they had to have been knowing that, man, things are changing. God is bringing judgment, and I need to be on the right side of all this. And so when Josiah was 26 years old, he ordered the restoration of the temple because he saw the temple of the Lord and it was filled with things that, weren't not, that were not of the Lord and he's like, hey, we gotta take care of this. And so, I want, and I wanted to note that this happened, he ordered the restoration of the temple before 
He found the book of the law that we're going to talk about in a minute. And so we don't know exactly why he ordered the restoration of the temple. We don't know the context of it all, but we knew that he knew it was the right thing to do. And when he became of age and, and he got enough, you know, under his belt of, of what was happening in the world and, and maybe his mother was pouring into him and he was listening to the voice of the prophets and he was confronted with the right thing to do, he did it. Listen, this is how some of you wound up at church. You knew that something was missing. You knew that something was wrong in the world. You were searching for answers. You go searching for answers, and you found God's word. And something about the Bible and something about the message of Jesus and something about God drew you towards himself because you were searching. Man, you should be able to relate with Josiah in that, that when the world was crumbling, and things were happening that you never thought were even possible, God draws you to himself. Don't be surprised when he does that. For decades at this time, God's word had been lost. At least for 75 years, people had not been reading God's word. They had not been following it. They hadn't, no one even knew where it was. It's as if you lost your Bible at your house, under the bed, or under a dresser for 75 years, and then finally you find it, and you're like, what's this? No one's ever told me about this. And so in 2 Kings 22, 11, we see Josiah's reaction because they, they're restoring the temple, they're getting all the junk out, they're, they're, and they find the book of the law. And so they read what's in it, and then they take the book of the law to Josiah, and they read it to him, and look what happens. When the king heard what was written in the book of the law, he tore his clothes in despair. He tore his clothes. Now, I don't know about you, but unless you're Hulk Hogan, you maybe have never tore your clothes because you got so angry, <laughs> right? Roid rage, right? <laughs> you know, you probably haven't ever done that. But I love this picture because God's word moved Josiah so much that it elicited this outward reaction that was just, in our eyes, kind of out there, you know? God's word rocked him. And so when he hears God's word, he doesn't just have this like, you know, tear your clothes kind of attitude. He actually had a tell me more attitude. He wanted to know all about it. He didn't shrug it off. He didn't dismiss it. He didn't arrogantly ignore it. He let the righteousness of God well up within him. He let it come. And that's what I want to encourage you with today. When you're confronted with the right thing to do when you read God's word, let the righteousness of God well up in you. Don't push it down with doubt. Don't push it down with a million questions. Some of you are so analytical that you will, you will analyze your way out of every truth that God ever wants to speak in your life. Let the righteousness of God well up in you when you hear God's word. And we know it's easy, to, it's, we, it's easy to push it down because we see people all the time do it. And we know that every other king in this time period had just pushed it down, ignored it arrogantly. And so uh, the, the priest of the temple goes and consults Holda the prophet, this lady who was filled with God's power and spoke God's word. And she told them of God's judgment that because Israel, the the, the the kingdom of Judah had been, you know, ignoring God's word for so long that judgment was coming. 
You know, many times, and many people these days are uncomfortable talking about God's judgment. Some people even have an incorrect view of God that that's all that God is about, that he's just a a mean, scary judge and he's just gonna throw down, right? And guess what? I'm sure that when Huldah made prophecies and different prophets back in the Old Testament made prophecies and talked about the judgment of God back then, I guarantee you it made people uncomfortable then too. But we don't only serve a God of judgment, we also serve a God of grace. And we see this in 2 Kings 22, 19 through 20. Because Josiah tore his clothes, he repented, he was like, it rocked his world. And and listen to what Huldah says. You were sorry and humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I said against the city and its people, that this land would be cursed and become desolate. You tore your clothing in despair and wept before me in repentance. And I have indeed heard you, says the Lord, so I will not send the promised disaster until after you have died and been buried in peace. You will not see the disaster I'm gonna bring on this city. Now listen, you and I, we don't have to tear our clothes, but repentance is still the norm in the New Testament church. Jesus came, he died for you, he lived a sinless life, he became the perfect sacrifice on a cross for your sin and my sin and the sin of all humanity. He rose again. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ by putting our trust in him. It's not of ourselves, but repentance is still a part of your pathway to forgiveness, your pathway out of the judgment of a loving God. Matthew 4, 17, from Jesus' words himself, from then on Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repentance is still a part of the game and repentance means that I let the word of God rock me, I let it get deep down in my soul and I make a 180 and turn from my old life and I say, God, what in the world do you want me to do now? And then I do that. Listen, there's something incredible about a leader who repents. There's something incredible about a leader and the impact they can have when they get right with God. When they publicly say, I was wrong, I'm, I'm, I'm repenting, and I'm gonna follow Jesus. Men, when you lead your house in this way, when you lead your house in a vulnerable, humble state, and you say, hey, I am just as in need of repentance and submission to God as anyone else on the planet. I don't know it all, and I need God to lead me and guide me. The impact that it will make in your home and in your life, and you just, you just can't even understand how big it is and how many generations it could affect. And this is true, man, woman, doesn't matter who you are, but there's something about a leader that repents that comes with a humble attitude, who's vulnerable and not afraid to lead the way in saying, I was wrong. So dad, mom, youth leader, kids leader, don't be afraid to repent. Don't be afraid to do what's right. The second thing that we see in the life of Josiah is the repentance is followed by consistent and faithful worship. 2 Kings 23, 1 through 3. Then the king summoned all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem, and the king went up to the temple of the Lord with all the people of Judah and Jerusalem, along with the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. 
There the king read to them the entire book of the covenant that had been found in the Lord's temple. The king took his place of authority beside the pillar and renewed the covenant in the Lord's presence. He pledged to obey the Lord by keeping all his commands and laws and decrees with all his heart and soul. In this way, he confirmed all the terms of the covenant that were written in the scroll, and all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. This was unheard of at this time. And so what do we see here? We see he had a public worship service, just like we had today. And they publicly declared their faith in God. Then Josiah got to work removing all the junk from their lives. Remember, I said there was articles in the temple that were used to worship Baal. And he had it all burned. He had it cut up. He had it carried away. He even, he even took the ashes far, far away. He tore down the altars. He went on the offensive, getting rid of everything that he needed to get rid of to completely eradicate every trace of worship to false gods from his country. Listen, worship isn't just showing up at church. It's making sure our whole lives honor God. The equivalent for you and me would be that, hey, we come to church and everything's neat and tidy here and hey, this is a place where we honor God and, and talk right and, and you know, no, no cussing in church, right? And no, and, and, but when we get home, hey, all bets are off. And trust me, if you're new here, we are not a legalistic church. But there's something to be said when we live one way at church and then we go home and we let anything and everything stream through our TVs or our phones. And we let any and everything come out of our mouth. And our lives at home and out in the world don't look any different. Right? Something to be said. And what we see in, in the life of Josiah is that he didn't let it leave anything untouched. He went through the whole country and cleaned house. Now, we know it was a different time. He was the king. He had all the authority. He had all the power. He could do it. And so what do you have control over? That when you repent and say yes to Jesus, you can turn around and make the necessary changes in your life. Listen, repentance begins a chain reaction of overhaul and reform in your life. 2 Kings 23, 24, Josiah also got rid of the mediums and psychics, the household gods, the idols, and every other kind of detestable practice, both in Jerusalem and throughout the land of Judah. He went crazy in the best possible way. So the question for you and me is, what do you need to get rid of so that you can worship God? What do you need to get out of your life? Because repentance is followed by consistent and faithful worship, not just here at church, but at home too. Ephesians 5, one through five, Paul said it like this. Imitate God, therefore, in everything that you do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. And then he gets really specific. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. 
obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes. These are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. And I wanted to read that verse because we've got to see the connection between these Old Testament stories and how we live today. Because not everything lines up perfectly with our life. You know, we're, we're living under a new covenant and a new way and a new way of worshiping and a new way of connecting to God. And we don't have the temple and we don't have the sacrifices and we don't have that stuff. But there are certain things that absolutely stay consistent. And one is that there's no other gods in your life before him. And so Paul, in the New Testament, he lines out what does it look like to have a modern day God it might not be, might not be a, little, a little Buddha on your, on your mantle that is, that is physical and you see it and, and you know, it's shaped. You know, we're not talking about that kind of God. But greed, sexual immorality, things that have no place in your life, right? No place. And so sometimes we tend to think, oh, this God in the New Testament, Jesus, oh, he's just so full of grace, it doesn't matter what I do. Couldn't be further from the truth. He loves you so much, and he doesn't want to leave you in your old life. When he steps into your life, he cleans house just like Josiah did. And he wants you and he leads you to get the junk out and to serve him with a pure heart. Right? He wants to replicate himself in your life. He lived a sinless life, and he's calling us to live a pure life too. Now he knows that you'll never measure up and you'll never live a sinless life and, and that's why his grace is so big. But we can never let that stop being our goal. Amen? Does that make sense? So repentance is followed by consistent and faithful worship. And then the third thing that we see in the life of Josiah as we wrap up today is that faithful people prioritize in light of eternity. So when you prioritize your life, when you say what's most important, you have eternity in mind. Listen, Josiah, he really didn't live that long. He was eight years old when he took the throne. He reigned for 31 years, and so you do the math. When he was 39 years old, he died in a battle. He died. But here's what I want you to understand. He didn't need a long life to make a difference. Why? Because when you make decisions that have eternity in mind, when you make decisions that impact eternity, it multiplies your impact in the here and now. Mom, dad, teenager, you're making decisions now that are not gonna just affect the here and now, but are gonna impact eternity one way or the other. 2 Kings 23, 25, this is the legacy of Josiah. Listen, it says, never before had, had there been a king like Josiah who turned to the Lord with all his heart and soul and strength, obeying all the laws of Moses, and there has never been a king like him since. What a cool legacy. How many of you want that to be said of your life, that, hey, there was another, never another mom, or there was never another dad, or there was another, never another son or daughter that turned to the Lord with all of his heart, or her heart, and, and served God with all their heart and all of their soul? 
That's the kind of legacy that is eternal. That's the kind of legacy that will speak through the generations when we prioritize our lives in light of eternity. Don't underestimate the power of your choices when you surrender to God. The little stuff, the medium stuff, the big things, it all matters. Now I wanna encourage you today, we don't want to spiral into legalism that is a stench to God. But at the same time, we, would, we don't wanna be flippant about our life choices either. And so when you ask God where you need to prioritize him, I believe that's a question that he always answers. That when we go on this journey and we just say, God, here's my life, and you begin to do an assessment, you look at your weeks and you look at your days and the hours and the minutes and the money and, the, and all of it, all the ways that you're spending your life, and you ask God the question, God, how do I need to prioritize my life and my time and my resources? This is a question that he always answers. And just so you know, friend, I've been serving God for quite a while now, um, but I, I still do this all the time. Because it's a process and it's a continual progression where I reevaluate and then I reevaluate again. God, how are my priorities doing? Are they in line with your word? Based on how I'm living now, will it be said of me at the end, good and faithful servant? That's the plumb line. That's it. Matthew 25, 23, Jesus said in the parable about the talents, it says, the master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. Now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. That's a picture of when God gives you your life and the little choices and the medium choices and the big choices. How are you gonna handle it? How are you gonna prioritize it? What are you going to do? Let's review. What do we learn from the life of Josiah? We're all confronted with an opportunity to do what is right. Are you going to turn away? Or are you going to lean into it? Repentance. When you're confronted with that choice, am I going to do what is right or not? And you say, God, I'm so sorry. I haven't been doing it right. I'm going to turn towards you. It's followed by consistent and faithful worship, faithfully injecting God and his presence into every choice in your life. And then lastly, I'm going to start asking the long questions. Who do, who do I want to be at the end? What do I want written on my tombstone? What do I want people to say about me when I'm gone? If I could write my own eulogy at my funeral, what's it going to sound like? Am I gonna prioritize my life based on what I want the end to look like, right? Because faithful people prioritize in light of eternity. If you could bow your heads and close your eyes today, I wanna ask you, where are you at? Some of you are at that first stage where you're being confronted with righteousness. You're hearing God's word. Some of you have been coming around on a weekly basis for a while, but you've yet to open up your life and say, God, I repent, and I, I want to follow you, and I'm sorry. I haven't been doing life your way, but I'm hearing the word of God, and it's rocking my world. It's rocking my life, and I need to begin to line up my life with you instead of just trying to look like everybody else. Some of you, that's where you're at today. 
And it's time. It's time. Over and over, the Holy Spirit has been confronting you with the right choices. And it's time to repent. And in your heart, you don't have to do it outwardly this morning. Thank, thank the Lord for this, right? You're not tearing your clothes apart in church this morning like Josiah did. But in your heart, you're reflecting that sentiment. You're saying, God, I'm so sorry. Help me, Lord, to follow you. Help me, Lord, to turn around and go the other direction. And so if that's you today and you say, Joe, repentance is my first step today and I need to, I need to turn from my old life and turn towards Christ and let the word of God shape me from here on out. If that's you today, you wanna to accept what Jesus did on the cross for you, you wanna put your trust in him, you wanna believe that he rose again on the third day and really wants to be involved in your life and reshape it. If that's you today, just raise your hand, I wanna pray with you. And you say, Joe, here I am, I'm on a path of repentance, amen. Hands up across the room. Thank you so much for responding. Anybody else that says, hey, I'm, here I am. Amen. Amen. You can put your hands down. I want to lead us in a prayer of repentance today. And um, man, if you're following Christ, I want us all to just repeat this prayer after me today. Can we do this together? Repeat after me. Let's say, Jesus, I repent. I haven't been doing life your way. And I'm so sorry. Help me to turn around and go the other direction towards you. I confess I'm a sinner and I need a savior. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you that you rose again. Thank you that the same spirit that raised you from the dead can live in me today. Help me to follow you and listen to your word just like Josiah did. Amen. Amen. Let's give those a hand that made, prayed that prayer for the first time this morning. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you're here and you say, Joe, man, I've made a decision to follow Christ, but Man, I'm just letting the things of this world creep in a little bit too much. And God's really convicted me today, and I need to, I need to reprioritize. I need to have some more consistent and faithful worship outside of the church building. And hey, it's time to just get some things squared away in my life. If that's you, I'm going to pray a closing prayer. And go ahead and stand with me today. And so if that's you and you just want to say, hey, Joe, this resonated with me, and I need to apply this to my life today. Hey, as I pray this closing prayer, I just encourage you to raise your hand as a sign to God. Hey, God, I want, I want to do it your way. And let's pray together as a church. God, here we are. We love you so much and we need you. And we want to be faithful and consistent followers of Christ. We want to shape our lives and our choices based on eternity. Not just on the here and now. Not, what, not what's going on in this world. Not what, not what is popular and, and just the... the, the, the the uh, trendy thing to do. God, we want to shape our lives on your word. And so help us to be like Josiah, stepping out and stepping up and being leaders that lead with repentance, being leaders that lead with a soft heart. God, being leaders and, and parents and, and followers of Christ that are willing to do anything, to get anything out of our life that is in, interfering with our walk with you. God, help us to have a desire for holiness, a desire to look like you, a desire to put you first in every single thing in our life. 
life. God, help there to be a consistency in our life between what we say and what we read and what we do here at church and what goes on in our homes. God, convict us, Lord. Help us to have the heart that Josiah had that when he tore his clothes and he was, and he was just in dismay over what was going on in his, in his life and help us to turn towards you with our whole hearts, God, just desiring you, even in the inward parts. Help us to pray a prayer just like David did, this search my heart, oh God, and if there's any offensive way in me, turn my heart towards the way everlasting. We are here for you, Jesus. We want you to be magnified in every area of our life. We want our hearts to just be passionate for you, hungering for your presence like never before. Jesus, we invite you invade every area of our life. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us for today's message. We look forward to having you back next week.